This is White Sox Weekly, your two-hour all-access pass to everything White Sox. Drive in the air! Deep to right! It is gone! This is a presentation of the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Welcome into White Sox Weekly. No Connor this week. I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight. Connor is on the television broadcast along with Darren Jackson today. Len Casper will have your radio call of the White Sox in Boston at Fenway Park against the Red Sox after last night's loss to the Red Sox. It's been a rough week. It's continued for the White Sox. They only salvage. One win so far. If you want to go back to Sunday, they lost that game as well. So the last time we did White Sox Weekly, the White Sox are currently, what do we call it? I guess we'll give them the Saturday win because we were on Saturday afternoon. So since we've last talked to you, they are 2-4. and And, of course, the series in Washington against the Nationals, even though it started out well with a 6-1 victory, did not go as Sox would have hoped. But nevertheless... There's still eight games remaining on the schedule, and I will, you know what, let's start with the news because that is probably the biggest thing for White Sox fans out there. If you had intentions on going to the White Sox and Diamondbacks game on Monday, that game has been rescheduled. We got word early this morning that due to the fact that the Diamondbacks game in New York against the Yankees has been postponed today due to Tropical Storm Ophelia, Because that game has already been postponed and the Diamondbacks are due to take on the White Sox here for a three-game set. Again, it was originally planned to begin on Monday to be a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday series. That Monday game, White Sox fans, has been moved to Thursday. So if you have tickets or you are planning to go, make that note. It is now an afternoon affair on Thursday 110 start at Guaranteed Rate Field. White Sox will host the Diamondbacks. There is no longer a Monday game at Guaranteed Rate Field between the White Sox and Diamondbacks. Again, that game has been moved to accommodate the Diamondbacks, who are still fighting for a playoff spot. They're currently actually in a playoff spot as we speak. So every game for the Diamondbacks could be critical as they are in a race in the NL wildcard race here. Diamondbacks currently sit in that second wildcard spot. They are one game up on the Cubs, who are in the third wildcard spot, and they are two games up on the Miami Marlins and two and a half up on the Cincinnati Reds. So it's a very tight race amongst four teams there. And even the Giants, you could throw them into the mix. They're three games out of that final spot. And the San Diego Padres, who have just been on fire winning eight straight, they're actually set to conclude their season at Guaranteed Rate Field for the weekend series, the Friday, Saturday, Sunday games at guaranteed rate field to close out the season so the san diego padres will be in town and you get a chance to actually take a look at uh possibly the cy young award winner blake snell scheduled to start that sunday the final game of the year against the white Sox. so a good game to go catch as well if you're looking to see some baseball in chicago before the season wraps up you have the diamondbacks you have the padres coming in town both fighting for possibly nl wildcard spots and again the diamondbacks currently sit in that Second spot, and again, their game postponed against the Yankees. And because of that, because of the possibility of probably not being likely to get in a doubleheader tomorrow because they're still expecting plenty of rain in New York, and we could get some today in Boston as well uh, because of the tropical storm. Because of all that, 
Major League Baseball is trying to accommodate for the fact that the Diamondbacks may need to play either one game or two games potentially on Monday to make up for today's postponement against the Yankees. And so, again, the White Sox, to accommodate that, their Monday game against the Diamondbacks has been moved to Thursday, White Sox fans. So if you're planning on attending again, make sure you go ahead and change those plans accordingly because they will now be playing the Diamondbacks Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday not Monday like was originally planned. So there you go. There's the big news piece for any Sox fans out there who were still planning on making their way out to Guaranteed Right Field. Wanted to make sure you're aware of that. And I will be reminding folks throughout the show because I know uh, you, when you get word like this, uh, you, you want to make sure everybody's aware of the changes in their plans, especially because if you had tickets, I know this certainly affects you. All right, so moving forward, the White Sox, it was a tough week. It's been a tough season all year long. They end up losing two of three to the Nationals. They lost last night to the Red Sox. Let's give you, though, some of the highlights here that we did actually have during the week. And this was from earlier in the week when Eloy Jimenez, back on September 16th, stepped to the plate. Rares in a 1-1. Eloy cranks it deep left field. This is gone. Eloy Jimenez jumped all over it. And the White Sox take the lead 2-1. to one. So there you go. Eli Jimenez with the home run on that. I believe that was his 20th of the season at that time. So there was one of your highlights from Saturday. And Gavin Sheets joined Eloy's home run party as well that night. Slowing it down a bit here against Gavin. Now an 0-2. Slow one. High fly ball out to right field. Kepler back. And this one is gone. Gavin Sheets with the second home run of the inning off Pablo Lopez. 5-1 White Sox. And that was last Saturday night, and I apologize. I said uh, that was actually Andrew Vaughn has 20 home runs. Eloy has 17. My apologies on that. I was uh, sifting through my White Sox stats there and accidentally gave you Andrew Vaughn. So Eloy Jimenez's 17th home run. That was Gavin Sheets last Saturday night when the, the White Sox jumped all over Pablo Lopez and hung on for the victory there. We move ahead to their series against the Nationals. Luis Roberts with another home run this season. Luis Roberts Jr. sends one deep to left. It's gone. Number 37. And the Sox lead one to nothing. Thank you there, Len. See, Len says the home run number. That way, ensuring I won't give you the wrong one. uh, Luis Roberts, he's been one of the few bright spots for the White Sox this season. Although I will say, Yoan Mankata has been playing Excellently, excellently over the last month, along with Elvis Andrews. So there are a couple of bright spots. Luis Robert obviously has uh, his eye on potentially some milestones here. He stole a couple of bases last night. We'll get into that later in the show here on White Sox Weekly. But I will uh, let you know that that 37th home run, along with his two stolen bases last night, give him 19 on the season. I have to imagine. That if Luis gets on base, on first base at any point here down the stretch, he's going to be eyeing up for that magical milestone of 20 stolen bases, which would give him the old 35-20 club with probably an eye on three more home runs as well to maybe, just maybe, sneak into a 40-20 club for the White Sox. We'll talk more about that later on because lots of interesting numbers being accomplished around baseball, including one man who has created his own club this season. I'll tell you about that. But here also was, uh, I mentioned, Yoan Moncada's been hot of late. Yoan Moncada with a home run to right. And the Sox have the lead for the second time. Moncada with his ninth home run. So a couple of solos for the Sox. 
And it's 2-1. Yoman Kata giving the White Sox what they were hoping for over the month of September here. He's now hitting 303 with a 343 on base in September. That uh, was his fourth home run in the month of September, along with 10 RBIs, as you heard Len mention, his ninth home run on the season. And, of course, if you couple that with August, he hit 280 in August with the 323 on base. Not quite where you expect the best of Yoan, but still better than what we've seen early on. It seems like he's finally getting back to playing, you know, maybe pain-free from the back injury that has been causing him problems all year long. So we'll see how that ends up potentially changing any opinions around baseball and maybe will Chris Getz look to bring Yohan Mankata back he's under contract for next season for 29 million dollars of course he hasn't given the White Sox nearly what they had hoped for and so the question is will he be somebody who they're looking to move in the offseason especially off of a strong September finish or will they look at the money and say that's going to be too much, you know, you're, what are you going to get in return if you're moving somebody like Yohan Mankata who has so much potential? That's certainly a fair question. And so he's somebody who I think White Sox fans will have lots of discussion about throughout the offseason up until spring training begins, whether or not they do move him. And if there's anybody you want to talk about, White Sox fans, 312-332-3776. That's the phone number if you want to jump in here on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network and talk a little bit of White Sox today. We can recap the season. Feel free to talk with me and let me know what you'd like to see changed. I know Chris Getz. He's made some significant changes here already this past week, hiring three key pieces inside his new front office, three members who will now be a part of the front office who are not currently in the White Sox front office. Yeah, we'll talk about them here very shortly. I will talk about... Brian Bannister in particular, who had, who's done a couple of interesting podcasts where they were long, extensive interviews. And when you listen to Brian Bannister speak, who will be doing a lot with Chris Getz inside the front office involving pitching, and I, I, maybe I'm, I'm missing, I'm skipping over the obvious here because I'm just so in the weeds, but Brian Bannister is the son of of White Sox great Floyd Bannister, for those who are not aware. Brian Bannister did play in the major leagues, but did not have nearly the stuff his old man had. And because of that, I think, is a very cerebral player in his approach to baseball and pitching in particular. And so I think he will be a fountain of information for Chris Getz to lean on as he brings him into the fold And we'll let you hear from Brian Bannister here in the next segment about some of his pitching philosophies and what he's learned, not just in his time as a major leaguer, but as a coach as well. Brian Bannister was a member of the 2018 Red Sox team that won a World Series, and he was also a key part of the front office with the San Francisco Giants a couple years ago for the team that won 107 games and really did so in a manner where It was by complete surprise. The Giants that season were not expected to really compete for the division, and they ended up winning 107 games. And had it not been for a ridiculous Dodgers team, they might have actually been able to make a deeper run into the playoffs. But nevertheless, Brian Bannister is somebody who I'm very excited about. I know White Sox fans, when they heard about Chris Getz being hired, there was some skepticism, and there probably still is, about the idea that Chris Getz, who's been inside this organization, for over seven years now inside the front office 
was that enough of a change from Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams? And I do think now when you're seeing these initial hires here, not just Brian Bannister, but Josh Barfield is being brought in from the Arizona Diamondbacks front office, and then Gene Watson as well, a longtime scout for the Kansas City Royals. I'll ask uh, actually Jesse Rogers as well. He's going to join us at 1 o'clock ESPN Major League Baseball insider Jesse Rogers. I'll ask him what the word is about these three particular people who are being brought into the White Sox front office, what the word is about them around baseball. Again, Jesse Rogers is going to join me at 1 o'clock. But before we do that, let's jump on in and let you hear from Brian Bannister. We'll do that when we come back right here on White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000 the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller, hanging out with you until 2.30 today when your pregame coverage of White Sox and Red Sox at Fenway will begin. And we'll see if uh, we have our baseball game starting on time as scheduled or will there be some rain that delays us a bit today. We will obviously let you know if we get word. There's some rain in the fork forecast in boston but um we'll see how heavy it is as we get closer to game time uh obviously hasn't uh, affected the massachusetts area area enough to go ahead and cancel the game like they've already done with the yankees and diamondbacks today so um we will keep monitoring that and let you know as soon as we get word from the folks over at Fenway as to what the plan is regarding today's game as of now. We'll continue to uh, go about and assume it is as scheduled, unlike, again, Monday's White Sox-Diamondbacks game, which has been moved to Thursday, Sox fans, to accommodate, again, the Yankees-Diamondbacks postponement today. Hey, students, school might be back in session, but it's still easier than ever to get your friends together for a White Sox game. Sign up for students' steals, alerts, and... Get exclusive access to lower-level ticket offers starting at just $9. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash student or text student to 244-769. Again, that's 244-769. All right, we talked about Brian Bannister in the last segment and how he is somebody who Chris Getz has now brought into the White Sox organization. Again, former, uh, our son of former White Sox pitcher Floyd Bannister, so Brian is the son of Floyd, White Sox great, and Brian has spent quite a bit of time in baseball, not just as a player, but also throughout several different organizations as a coach. And this piece of sound that I'm going to play for you comes from Tread Athletics. They have a YouTube channel. They are Tread Athletics is a baseball development company specializing in remote first plans for pitchers. So it's very pitching centric. And Brian Bannister sat down with their two hosts for over 90 minutes. I think it was an hour and 47 minutes or so when I was watching it. And very extensive. And I'll tell you what you'll hear from Brian Bannister. It may get you excited as a White Sox fan who, if you've been following the organization closely for the last 10, 15 years, it does seem at times like analytically the White Sox have been behind some of baseball. And so when you hear Brian Bannister talk, I want you to keep that in mind because it certainly sounds like he is somebody who is at the forefront of analytical thinking. And more importantly, when you watch this extensive interview with him, I think you come away 
feeling confident that Brian Bannister is not somebody who just consumes the analytics and the numbers and the data, but he seems to have a good ability to relate this information to your average player, not just your average player, but many different types of players. You know, somebody who's maybe more cerebral like him, but also somebody who doesn't want to overthink it on the mound. Somebody who just wants the coach to give them a Cliff's Notes version of what they need to be doing and why. I think that's what you, that's my biggest takeaway when I listen to Brian Bannister speak is I'm confident listening to him that he's going to bring some new insights to the White Sox organization that may have been sorely lacking. So here's Brian Bannister, again, on the Tread Athletics YouTube channel, talking a little bit about his background in baseball. was very blessed. Uh, my dad was the number one overall pick in the draft, so grew up in the game. Uh, I never had the same kind of talent as him, uh, but was exposed to a lot of elite pitchers early on, watching uh, their training habits, you know, how they went about their craft, uh, their problem-solving process. Uh, was exposed to, you know, kind of innovators like Tom House really early on in the early 90s. Um, so just kind of through osmosis, uh, got a great education in the game of baseball, and that carried me through. I was small in high school, a walk-on in college, kind of just barely made it to each progressive level, um, but always found a way to, you know, try to compete and try to get the most out of my ability, which was always my goal. It was never to be the best player in the world. It was just to like keep getting the most out of what I had physically. Um, and then my rookie year, my first full season rookie year in 2007 with the Royals, uh, pitch effects came out. And so, you know, we had just gotten past the, the steroid era. Mm-hmm. And so you know, guys have been doing that, but that wasn't really an option and not a road that I wanted to go down. Uh, but data was kind of my steroids. It's like, okay, here's the next thing that, Nobody's using that could be the next performance enhancer. And so I really got into it. You know, my physical ceiling was, was lower, was limited, uh, but I had a great teammate in Zach Granke who had all the upside in the world and who was very cerebral and really wanted to soak up the information. So we spent four years in Kansas City together. Uh, I would just be digging into the data all day, almost acting like an analyst, trying things out, passing along to him. He'd be asking me questions. We were iterating through a lot of things. Uh, and it kind of culminated in his nine-war season in 2009, winning the Cy Young. And that's when I knew, okay, my career is not going to be about me as a player. It's going to be how can I leverage this data to make other players more talented than me uh, be better at their own careers. And that's kind of where my passion is. Um, so I retired in 2011, had torn my rotator cuff, and spent a couple years doing research and then accidentally stumbled into a job with the Red Sox after speaking at a conference in Boston uh, for my friend Dan Brooks. And it was just an amazing journey, right place, right time. You know, the core position player group they had there with Bogarts and Mookie Betts, et cetera. Uh, we, wanted, we went on a crazy run and culminated a 2018 World Series. So there's a little insight as to who Brian Bannister is, how he made his way through baseball. I love hearing him talk about Zach Granke, who, if you've been following baseball for a while now, you know he's somebody who's always been thought of as you know a thinking man's pitcher. He certainly has always wanted that information, and it sounds like when you listen to Brian Bannister that they he kind of was at that forefront with 
Zach Granke when Zach was getting all that new information that was becoming available to him just when, when they were first getting started with the pitch tracks and the pitch FX back in 2007. Again, uh, Brian Bannister spent five years in Major League Baseball as a player, and look, he never had the stuff that a lot of elite-level pitchers had, but I think that in some ways has clearly been beneficial to him as he has pursued his career in coaching because that gave him the impetus to say, I need to get the most out of my ability and how can I do so? And clearly, I don't want to say he stumbled into it. He ate it up when he had the opportunity, but he took this information because he needed it. And I think that is going to hopefully help the White Sox in their development of pitchers going forward because that has been something that has been called into question over the last decade plus is the fact that the White Sox don't always seem to develop their players to their utmost potential, right? Oftentimes we've seen players come into the White Sox organization with a lot of hype surrounding them and maybe they haven't quite lived up to the possibility of where they could be as a player. And so when you hear Brian Bannister talk a little bit about how he was and how he got through this game and, again, made the most of what he had, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a spectacular career by any means, but five years at his, you know, to be a starting pitcher for four and kind of get by, again, with never really topping out above 90 miles per hour, I mean, that in itself is somewhat of an achievement. So I think he's going to bring something having had that own personal experience, but also being a good communicator when you listen to him speak. And I'll give you plenty more of Brian Bannister as we progress throughout the show here on White Sox Weekly, but wanted to share with you a little bit of that so you could get to know one of the White Sox newest members of their front office. Um, Brian Bannister will be joined by Josh Barfield as well, who will be leaving the Diamondbacks. He was the director of player development there. Josh Barfield will also be joining Brian Bannister in the White Sox organization and Josh Barfield's father, Jesse, was a pretty good baseball player as well. So we got plenty more to talk about. And as I say, Jesse, how about that? Let's transition to Jesse Rogers. Jesse Rogers covers Major League Baseball for ESPN. He's an insider. He's going to share with us here on White Sox Weekly what he's heard about Brian Bannister, Josh Barfield, and Gene Watson, who the White Sox have just hired this past week. We'll also ask Jesse about what he sees on the horizon for the White Sox in regards in regards to changes um, for their roster. All right, so there you go. Let's get after it. Let's talk to Jesse Rogers about the latest in baseball, maybe check in on the playoff races as well. But we'll ask him about the new front office additions in the White Sox and some of the changes he thinks could be happening on the south side in this offseason. We'll do that next right here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Greeny 10 to noon weekdays, ESPN Chicago. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller, hanging out with you till 2.30 today when your pregame coverage of White Sox and Red Sox will get underway. I'll be here for that, and Len Casper will be on the call for White Sox and Red Sox. Connor McKnight and Darren Jackson will be on the television call for White Sox and Red Sox today, so that's why I'm in for Connor today, talking a little bit of White Sox with you. Again, White Sox fans, 312 332-3776. That's always the number if you want to jump in and talk some White Sox baseball with us. Let's talk some White Sox baseball with uh, ESPN Major League Baseball insider, though, Jesse Rogers. He's been bouncing around, covering a lot of stuff inside the city here in Chicago. I know he's been uh, taking in the Twins, who just 
clinched the American League Central a little bit because he may or may not be on playoff coverage for them. So before we uh, get into the rest of baseball, though, Jess, let's talk a little bit about the White Sox here with you. Wanted to know from you, and thanks for joining me, man. Sure. What, um, if you just looking at the White Sox as an observer here, what are some of the changes, one or two main changes you think they really should be looking to address in the offseason here? Yeah, I mean, in a very specific manner, they have to make a very big big decision at shortstop. Not just necessarily for 24, but beyond. Mm -hmm. Um, They could kick the the can down the road a little bit here because Tim Anderson has an option just for next season. They could keep him and then turn it over to Colson Montgomery or someone else. Um, Yeah, that's the biggest decision. I mean, your shortstop is the captain of your infield, and that position is now turned into a very – offensive position as well. I mean, there's so many good offensive and defensive uh, shortstops that you need a guy that can do a little bit of both on your team, um, especially if you're going to pay him a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And I mean, just statistically, let alone the eye test, this is one of the worst seasons I've seen at shortstop in a long time. Um, You know, talking about TA, just, I mean, I think we can all say it and see it. We know it. It just hasn't been good. Saw another error last night. It, It just, doesn't look good right now and that's the big decision they have to make you know who are we going to play there long term it may not be Colson Montgomery he might move over who knows so I think that's a big decision not necessarily one that is um, going to uh, uh, be made right away mm-hmm. uh, they have to make the decision on Tim Anderson's option but for the next 10 years that that's something or five years or seven years that's something they have to address in short order and of course the the the, the thing that we all know about they need to address the leadership in that room that's number I, you know whatever order you want to put them in you got to find some position player leaders that can bring it whether it be role players but it'd be preferable to be everyday players what you're going to do at shortstop and then rebuild your pitching staff right mm-hmm. they traded half the staff they've had some tryouts Tucson again looked good last night he's had some good moments that might be a good pickup they've really given some guys some looks we'll see who sticks but they have to rebuild their pitching staff so it's it's those three things leadership in the room um figure out what you're doing long term at shortstop and rebuild that pitching staff okay so i i agree with your assessment there i will say the for a lot of Sox fans that i talk to Oftentimes, one of the first things that comes up is Yoan Mankata, and there's frustration about all the talent in the world, obviously, but he's dealt with back issues this year. He's dealt with injuries in the past. He's also dealt with, fair or not, a reputation about a guy who doesn't necessarily always play his hardest. And I don't know if that's just the fact that when he he's out there on the field, things sometimes come so easy to him that they make it look like he is going through things nonchalantly. But nevertheless... He's been finally, now that he seems like he's gotten a little bit past the back pain this month, he's been hitting closer to the player we've seen in the past here. But he's slated to make $29 million next season, and you're talking about leadership inside the clubhouse, Jess. What's the move with someone like Yoan Mankata? Is there any value around baseball if you're looking to trade someone like Yoan Mankata because he does have such a hefty price tag attached to his name? The short answer is no, um, because of what you just said. You, you'd have to pick up a ton of money in order to get anything back for him, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, no team is picking up that that amount and giving you a prospect, um, let alone the fact that he's he's one of these guys kind of like Eloy. What exactly is he worth? Because you, you can't stay on the field. Yeah. Now, he only has one year left, so that's why I don't 
I didn't bring him up in the decision. They don't have to make a decision on him necessarily because I don't think they're going to trade him. But they certainly could trade him if he's having a good year in July. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, let him walk. I just don't know how you thread the needle with um, trading him and what, picking up 15 of the 29 million. You'd have to do something like that and you get back nothing. I, I, I think he's back. But he, don't, he only has to be back for three months. If he's yeah. decent at all, you trade him. And if he's not, he's gone. So it's like you're down to a one-year deal. It's just like a very expensive one-year deal. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's much value. I mean, teams do not like to trade for perennially injured players. Sure. They just, you know, it, 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 it's the toughest thing because if you're counting on them, then you can't count on them. Then what do you do? Well, who's the backup? It's just it's not worth the trouble. It certainly isn't worth the money. At twenty nine million, it's twenty four point eight million plus a five million dollar buyout. Which, if his career continues like it is, they're probably going to buy it out. They could keep him for twenty five million the following season. But when you're unavailable like this, as much as he has, and let alone some of the body language issues and you know and and, and drive, uh, this is probably his last year as a White Sox as well. That's just my my opinion. I haven't talked to anybody within the organization about that. Jesse Rogers, ESPN Major League Baseball insider, joining me here on White Sox Weekly. Jeff Miller with you till 2.30 when pregame coverage of White Sox and Red Sox begins. Um, Jess, the White Sox, in terms of organizational structure, they make three big hires this past week. Chris Getz fills some holes, some front office positions. He brings in some people from the outside, which is not something we've seen from this organization recently. I've I just played some sound from Brian Bannister, so you don't have to focus too much on him. But uh, they also hired Josh Barfield and Gene Watson. I'm curious if you've heard anything from your inner baseball circles about the book on these guys. Yeah, Josh Barfield is is a is a name, um, and you saw what you, you've seen what the Diamondbacks have done bringing up young players. He had an impact there. Um, he's he's at that ripe age in terms of retiring from the game as a player in 09 mm-hmm. and sort of coming of age as an executive during the 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 you know analytics um, yeah. sort but, of explosion right yeah a little bit after the moneyball era when everybody was it became you know it was no longer taboo in baseball to embrace uh, analytics so everybody i've talked to says he brings that perfect combination of being a former player and understanding you know the heartbeat matters the drive matters but also applying the correct information um and look you, you can't argue what the diamondbacks are doing at their minor league levels and the the guys they've brought up there's, there's even more guys down there i met a few at the futures game um that seemed to be really well-rounded it's a very and let me sure inter- young group there let me inter- interrupt you because you were one of the first people who in spring training i remember us talking and you 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 mentioned you were saying hey listen keep an eye on the diamondbacks like there weren't a lot of expectations coming into the season but you said listen they've got a lot of fast players they're ready for some of the new rules they're going to run 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 and you were one of the first people who tipped me off on the diamondbacks being competitive this season and so to hear somebody that was you know intimately involved in the organizational structure in josh barfield coming to the white Sox, that's encouraging and the thing about it is what we don't know under under chris get chris gets especially when you talk about an assistant gm it's such a ambiguous term like every uh, assistant gms on, on on teams do different things yeah like you know what i mean so i'm hoping Based on his reputation, Chris Getz gives him a couple things, especially associated to the minor leagues where he's in charge of them and, and can have an impact at the lower levels. He's he's not that old, right? He's, he's closer to a player's age than anybody else they brought in. Um, he is a former player. Um, so I, I hope his tentacles reach out to a bunch of different things and not just um, – 
you know, some some paper pushing as an assistant GM, right? Yeah. And, you know, for lack of a better phrase. So that's going to be interesting. What exactly are Josh Barfield's duties? But from everything I hear about him, that's the guy I'm, I'm watching. What kind of impact can he have, especially on the on the younger players and the younger, you know, in the minor leagues as well? Good reputations for Watson and Bannister. You know, Watson's been around. He's had some interviews to be a GM. I know some people are worried about some of the Kansas City connections with Bannister and Watson having come from there. Um, but look, Watson's been other places. Bannister's been other places. Yeah. A lot of executives hire who they know. Yes. Bannister and, 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 and Chris gets cross paths in Kansas City. You know, I, I'm not too worried about that. I do like the fact that Bannister was with the Giants, kind of a winning organization, yep. right, over the years. Even Josh Barfield in Arizona has a one, but they're winning, they're winning now, and he was part of that group. So Absolutely. that's good. I, I want people that have seen winning recently. That, I think, has been a problem with the White Sox. And these guys have seen some winning recently. Maybe not so much Gene Watson with the Royals, but, but at least he has left and come back and stuff like that. Yeah, and I just, you know, interesting note, too, it's – both Brian Bannister and Josh Barfield's fathers, you know, had yeah. very, very uh, productive careers. In fact, more productive than their sons did. But it's interesting just to see two guys who grew up in baseball, around baseball, and maybe, you know, now Barfield was a highly, Josh, that is, was a highly thought of prospect. You know, he had uh, top 20 pedigree in baseball, but never really reached great heights. Meanwhile, Brian Bannister kind of did it differently. He never had nearly the talent that his father Floyd had, but he, he you know, played five years in baseball, basically maximizing everything he could out of his talent level. So interesting just to see two, uh, you, you know, two sons of uh, former major leaguers end up uh going into the front office here, which is just kind of like an interesting oddity to see uh, with the White Sox front office here. All right, so what about the rest of baseball, Jess? We have the final le- final week here, and like I should, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll ask you about it. The Arizona Diamondbacks and Yankees game was postponed, and that affects the White Sox because they have moved their Monday game against the Diamondbacks to Thursday what is the, like, like the plan now that you're dealing with this tropical storm Ophelia, which could be affecting these games for teams as they move forward? Yeah, I can tell you the general plan is to avoid playing a week from Monday. Yeah. They just, this is the thing with the new postseason. They, they have no margin for error. This is why there's no game 163 and they're going to tiebreakers, which is just a killer. I don't think there were any tiebreakers needed last year. Very well could be this year. And I was looking at, like, the Marlins and Reds. Their season series was tied 3-3, so they have to go to a second tiebreaker, oh boy. which is their their record within their own divisions. They're not even in the same division. So it's like, God, if you're a fan base and you lose a playoff spot because of the second tiebreaker after 162, that's a killer. So whether it be the weather, whether it be a tie, they're trying to avoid playing on that Monday after the season because the wild card round starts on Tuesday. So they're going to do whatever it takes. They're going to do whatever it takes. And, um, you know, I don't know every, you know, everyone's schedule all week in terms of the East coast, but this is at least a preemptive move. Um, as long as they can get these games in with Arizona in New York to uh, tomorrow and, and then Monday, you know, they might be okay. So yeah, they're just going to do everything they can to avoid playing a week from Monday anywhere in the country. What about uh, around baseball? What has uh, caught your eye over the last week? Is there anything that uh, you just said, wow, I can't believe that? Or what are you looking ahead for as we uh, approach the playoffs here? Oh, I'm all over the AL and NL wild card. And, and, and I mean, the AL West included. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the Texas Rangers, what a wild ride they've been on. They were great <laughs> and they were terrible. They have injuries and they get healthy. And now they're back in first by a half game. And what's caught my eye is the defending champions. Here's a great example 
that, you know, at this time of year, you can't look at the schedule and say, oh, man, they got to win. They're going to win those games because the schedule's eat. No, every there's so many factors at this time of year, Jeff, that come into play. The Astros, the Astros have lost a series to the Royals. They've lost a series to the A's. They lost again to the Royals last night. These are the defending champs, as veteran a team as you're going to find with a veteran manager, and they're and they're losing games to teams they should beat. The Cubs have lost games they should to teams they should beat. The Marlins, the Reds have all done this. It's it's just a difficult time of year. Everyone's tired. Guys are banged up. The other team that's out of it is playing loose. Um, all of that plays a part. Uh, yeah, of course, once in a while you're going to team that's going to run through a, 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 an easier schedule. But more times than not, we're going to see upsets that you don't see coming. And you would think after the Astros lost to the Athletics and Royals, they'd have a wake-up call. They lose last night. And who knows what's going to happen tonight and, and tomorrow. So whereas two weeks ago, I'm like, look at that schedule. The Astros are going <laughs> to yeah. win the AL West. Maybe not. Maybe not. So um, Texas, you know, is back on top. Seattle seems like, um, at least according to Fangraphs, could be the odd man out in that division. We'll see. Toronto look is, is looking okay for the wild card. So the AL West in the wild card is, is fascinating. All good teams. Where the NL Central and the, uh, the NL wild card in particular, like, who wants it, right? Everyone yep. keeps, you know, um, one step forward, two steps back, it seems like. So that's going to be interesting. Of course, the Cubs don't have the tiebreakers against the Reds and Marlins. And I said, if the Reds and Marlins tie, they got to go to the second tiebreaker. So those are the two races everyone's watching because a lot of the divisions are, are, are sewn up. We saw Minnesota finally clinch. I, I was in their locker room about a week ago. And, you know, Royce Lewis is such a great story. Yes, yes. All the injuries. He said five grand slams. He's kind of the heartbeat. Now he just won on the IL, you know, and they're doing this without Buxton. So, Got to give a lot of credit to the Twins. They've they've forged ahead. Yeah, the division was easy, opened up for them, but they took advantage. Um, they haven't won a playoff game in like you know since you know you were a kid, I think, Jeff. So we'll see what they can do. But um, there's clearly like five or six elite teams, and everyone else is kind of chasing them. Um, and, and we'll see if there's some upsets in the making come October. Last thing before I spring you, Jess, you mentioned the five or six elite teams. They've kind of, you know, the Braves, the Orioles and Rays will put them together, even though they're kind of, they're still kind of fighting for that division in the American League East because they're both so much better than the other teams. Um, I don't know if you, you know, the Dodgers and then yep. uh, the Brewers obviously have kind of gone on a nice run here at the end. But and the uh, Phillies. Yeah, the Phillies. Phillies. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. okay. So how do you think those teams who, well, and let's separate the Braves, the Dodgers, and maybe the Orioles and Rays because they're trying to obviously line up their pitching as they get set down the stretch. How much of an advantage is that for a team this final week when you know you've sewn, sewn up your, your playoff spot and you can, you know, you don't have to ride your starting pitching late into these games in this final week. You can kind of, you can let them go out there, you know, give a, give you a 70 pitch outing. If you're a pitcher, get your five innings of work in and then just get ready for the playoffs. No, it's huge. It's huge because now, uh, uh, you know, if you're a wildcard team, you're playing four rounds to win the world series and that takes a toll. That's why, you know, as soon as the Phillies wrap up the one seed, it may, it may not be until the you know last few days of the season. You know, Nolan Wheeler have a ton of innings on their yeah. arm. When you go back to last year's wild card through the World Series, now this year they don't get a bye either because of Atlanta. So the teams that that really need to do it are like Philly, you know, Milwaukee, Woodruff just back from injury. You know, their whole October is based on three arms. Let's yep. face it, right? I mean, sure. they they've they've hit they hit last night for example, but it's Peralta, Woodruff, Burns. So you know, 
Yes. The answer is yes. You, you, it's about backing off those guys. It really is. And that's why next week, for example, the Cubs go to Atlanta and then Milwaukee, you'd have to imagine those teams back off their pitching with everything clinched up. So um, whether you have the buy or not, you need it. You need to back off those pitchers because you're playing um, more games than ever in October, especially if you're the wild card team. Great stuff, Jess. Appreciate the insight, my man. You got it, Jeff. Have a good one. Take that, care. That is Jesse Rogers. Again, ESPN Major League Baseball insider does a great job covering baseball, mostly here in the city of Chicago, but of course doing lots of traveling for ESPN as well. So great to get his insight on not just the White Sox, but some of the playoff races as we come down the final stretch here. Hey, Sox fans, join us for Lyrical Lemonade Night on Friday, September 29th at 640. The first 2,500 fans, sorry, the first 2,500 fans to purchase a specialty ticket will receive a limited edition Lemon Man bobblehead. And don't forget to head to the scoreboard shop at Centerfield to purchase stadium-exclusive merch. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash lyrical. All right, Jesse gave us a great burk breakdown on Josh Barfield. I want you to hear a little bit more from Brian Bannister. Again, he had a lot of great insights, and I think it's really interesting to hear from the man who is going to be, I think, critical in helping the development of future White Sox pitchers, which, if you hadn't noticed, they did quite a quite a job adding some impact arms at the trade deadline. So wants you to hear more from Brian Bannister. We'll do that next right here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. The ESPN Chicago Triple Play AM, FM, HD, and app. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller. A little daft punk for you here on this Saturday afternoon as we get you set for White Sox and Red Sox at Fenway Park today. First pitch coming your way at 310. We've got the 230 pregame again. We'll see weather allowing, of course, because as I mentioned at the top of the show, if you missed it, the White Sox and Diamondback games that was originally scheduled to take place on Monday at Guaranteed Rate Field has been moved to a Thursday afternoon game. So again, they've moved it from Monday evening to Thursday afternoon, 110 first pitch at Guaranteed Rate on Thursday to accommodate the fact that the Diamondbacks game against the Yankees today has been postponed because of Tropical Storm Ophelia. And there's probably a good chance they can't get a doubleheader in tomorrow because of the forecast and the storm. And so it looks like the Diamondbacks are going to need Monday to play at least one, maybe two games against the Yankees. And because, as you just heard from Jesse Rogers there, because the Diamondbacks are in the thick of the National League wildcard race, they're going to need to play every possible game. And so the White Sox, to accommodate that, they've moved the Monday game to Thursday. So Sox fans, if you were planning on heading out to the ball to the ballpark, make sure that you adjust White Sox Diamondbacks game rescheduled from Monday to Thursday. So they will be playing them Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday this week for their final home stand. Sox fans, twenty twenty four ticket plans are available now. Be here for the biggest matchups and exciting new promotions throughout the season, including opening day on March 28th. Our ticket plans include great benefits such as ticket exchange program, special events, savings on single games, and more. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash 2024. All right, I've been giving you a little bit of Brian Bannister, the new man, the new member of the White Sox front office as he was hired by Chris Getz this past week. Here is a little more from him from the Tread Athletics YouTube channel. Again, he did an extensive interview with them not too long ago and giving you a little bit of insight into the man who is going to be very responsible for helping develop the White Sox pitchers going forward as he works most likely with Ethan Katz going forward. Here's Brian Bannister on what he does to help, I'm sorry, on learning, uh, on helping pitchers learn 
what makes each one different? Let, let's say you're talking to a group of 20 pitching coaches and, and there's a hack attack machine, you know, and it, it's just sitting on the mound and you tell them, okay, you can turn the dials to any setting. You can place it anywhere on the mound. You can use different tripod legs to adjust the tilt of it or the height of it. Where do you put it? Like create the highest pitch quality pitch you can using this machine. And it's funny because most of them have never thought about it and they kind of freeze. Like they don't know what to do. Uh, but it's something that I've gone through a million times is like, okay, if we could get a pitcher to actually release the ball from this position, that would be like the best pitch quality I've ever seen. And right. I'm just fascinated by kind of thinking outside the box. Um, how can we screw up hitters the most by giving them something they've never seen before? Uh, I, I'm just fascinated by the fact that hitters hit off of, you know, it used to be the old Casey machine, the two wheel machine now with the hack attacks, but they hit off 12, six fastballs and that fastball doesn't exist in baseball. Right. <laughs> You're literally practicing something you will never see right. in a game. Uh, there's always some amount of gyro spin to it, or you know, even Kenley or Mariano. You know, there's a little bit of cut spin to it. Uh, you just don't see that pitch, and yet that's what you practice off of. Um, so, the world is 90% right-handed. Nine out of ten people on Earth, um, you know, most people throw from roughly the same release point. So, what a hitter sees every day and what he practices every day. His dad was mostly right-handed. His coaches were right-handed. Uh, I just think that's fundamentally why left-handed pitchers, same fastball quality, characteristics, same velo, they outperform their righty counterparts is because you just don't see it as often. Um, so there's there's less of, um, you know, kind of a sample size for hitters to, to base off of. So in getting back to the outliers, you know, you're trying to find combinations that uh, are at the tail ends of the, bell, of the bell curve. You just don't want things that hitters see all the time. Because ultimately, all we're trying to do is get them to miss by a little bit. Ideally, they miss by an inch or more, and we get a whiff. But even just generating a pop-up or a ground ball, it's mission accomplished on the pitching side. And so there's something about you know, the combination of their release point, their pitch characteristics, the visual experience of trying to hit off that guy. You know, Is there a hitch? Is there uh, a weird timing mechanism? Is he, is he on a different tempo, a different beat? You know, I love when Justin Verlander or Houston Street start at one place in the rubber and then slide because hitters orient themselves to usually how a pitcher sets up on the rubber. And all of a sudden you shift on them and hitters are like, do I shift with them? Like all those weird little quirks, right. I think compound on each other. And so the more of those things you can put into a pitcher, I think the harder the hitting experience is. Really love that insight there. I don't know how you can't be encouraged to listen to Brian Bannister and um, not think the White Sox are headed in the right direction when you add a voice like that to your front office. I'm Jeff Meller. This is White Sox Weekly. Up next, we will take a look at the White Sox opponent today. Some big changes for the Red Sox as they just let their general manager, Haim Bloom, go. We'll talk with Sean McAdam, who covers the Red Sox for Mass Live. We'll do that next here on White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Instagram at ESPN underscore Chicago. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller, taking you up till pregame coverage, which begins at 2.30 today here on ESPN 1000 and the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. And we will have, hopefully, first pitch coming your way at 3.10. But, uh, of course, that is weather permitting. 
Let's talk to a man who covers the Red Sox, Sean McAdam. He covers the Red Sox for Mass Live, and he's kind enough to give us a few minutes here on ESPN 1000. Sean, uh, what's the forecast look like out there for today's potential White Sox-Red Sox game? Uh, it's a little uh, squirrely right now, okay. Jeff. We've got, uh, we've got some light rain, and it's falling, and we'll see what happens over the next few hours. Um, there's, of course, the tropical storm in the northeast that is moving up the coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, supposedly, it is not supposed to be as severe or hard-hitting as it was 24 or 48 hours ago. Uh, there is the lightest of rain just kind of spitting right now. Tarps on the field, no early BP for either team or pregame BP. But I think the expectation is uh, they're going to start on time and Try to get five or six in anyway. Okay. Uh, good to hear. We'll see how that progresses. Sean McAdam joining me here on White Sox Weekly, and obviously we focus mostly on the White Sox, but uh, a pair of mismatched socks here, Sean, because uh, both the White Sox and Red Sox have had seasons. I- I'd say it's been much worse for the White Sox, but nevertheless, both teams have parted ways with the people in charge. I say people because, of course, the White Sox had Han and Williams for the longest period of time. The Red Sox have followed suit and parted ways with Heim Bloom. So I guess uh, give Sox fans, White Sox fans, a little bit of a uh, thumb notes on how the season has gone for the Red Sox where it has gone so poorly where they decided it was time to make a change. Yeah, certainly a disappointing season year. Um, though, as you know, probably not as disappointing as it was on the south side. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the Red Sox expectations were to... Uh, be competitive and uh, have perhaps a chance to make it as one of the wild cards. And as recently as, say, a month ago, that was not exactly outlandish. You know, as they got into the last few days of August, uh, you know, they were within two or three games of the third wild card. They had a couple of teams they had to climb over, but it was there in front of them. And then they had a disastrous two and a half weeks where they played 16 games in a row without a day off. Mm -hmm. And their pitching really got exposed. They didn't have enough of it. Um, What they had of it wasn't good enough. And really, that's the story of of the season here. There have been other disappointments, other things that have not turned out as well as they had expected or projected. But it's been about the starting pitching. Um, You know, they're going to have one guy with more than 130 innings pitched in their rotation, and that guy is almost a rookie. Uh, I'm talking about Brian Bayo, who lost his rookie eligibility in September, but was pretty close and had only, I think, 10 major league starts in his career coming into this year. And he's been, uh, other than a real bad performance in Texas earlier in the week in which he really got hit around he's been their best and most durable starter everybody else has either been injured or underperformed or in some cases both um so um being out of contention being out of the playoffs um with a possibility of finishing last for the third time in four years in their own division um the Red Sox decided to pull the plug on Heim Bloom. Um, I, I was a little surprised, as I think most people were around here. I think fans had uh, been clamoring for a change, and if nothing else, this is an ownership group that has shown uh, it very much reacts to public sentiment. And while I think philosophically they believed in what Bloom was doing, which is building from within, 
restocking the farm system, providing a foundation that was going to make them, you know, consistent contenders year after year. Uh, the prospect of another last place finish and certainly one that did not include the postseason proved to be too much for Bloom to overcome. So he was let go Thursday and the Red Sox are now in the market to find their fifth baseball operations lead executive since 2011, which um, is no way to go. Uh, that's not a recipe for success, obviously. When you look at the stability that quality organizations have, they have not had that here. And so a familiar job search kicks off the offseason. Interesting and fascinating, too, when you consider a couple of World Series titles during that time period, right, between uh 2023 and 2011 so uh very interesting to say the least that uh you know you mentioned you know fsg fenway sports group uh, not willing to just go about and you know be middling certainly the expectations are much higher than that which i think um on one hand a fan base can appreciate but on the other hand it's also frustrating when i guess was heimblum sean Sean McAdam joining me here on White Sox Weekly. Was Bloom ever able to avoid the Mookie Betts deal being stuck to him? Or is that something that Red Sox, Red Sox fans look at and say, you know what, that was really the start of where things began to go wrong? Well, that happened about four months into his tenure. Yeah. He was hired at the end of October in 2019, and Mookie Betts was dealt along with David Price to the Dodgers in February of 2020. Uh, but I think most I, I, I'll, I'll handle your question sort of two ways, Jeff. I think mm-hmm. most fans understood that that was an ownership directive, that that was part of getting back under the CBT, resetting the tax rate and sort of starting over again. They thought that it wasn't sustainable to have all these big ticket free agents and long term commitments on the payroll for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I think fans understood that ownership told Bloom that that had to be done upon his hiring, and he was merely carrying out their orders. But at the same time, I think fans looked at it and said, even put in a difficult position, that is trading a franchise player and doing it with only a year of control left for him, um, made it difficult to get great return Even allowing for all that, Bloom came up short there. I mean, he got Alex Verdugo, who's a slightly above average uh, outfielder. Uh, He got um, Jeter Downs, an infield prospect who flamed out and was DFA'd and is now with the Washington organization. Mm -hmm. And he got Connor Wong, who's um, showing signs that he could be a pretty good major league catcher. Uh, hasn't hit a whole lot, but has made great strides defensively, throws well, handles the pitching staff well. Uh, so, you know, you got two everyday players for bats, but neither of them are stars. So, again, I think fans understand that he was being told what he had to do, that is move bats. But from a talent procurement and evaluation standpoint, he didn't get enough in return. Great breakdown there from Sean McAdam, who covers the Red Sox for Mass Live. Joining me here on White Sox Weekly, Jeff Meller on ESPN 1000 and the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Sean, uh, we saw it last night. Chris Sale go five innings. And listen, whenever he's out there, he's always going to strike out a lot of hitters. And the White Sox haven't really been providing much punch when it comes to resistance the last month or so since the trade deadline. 
But of course, White Sox fans watching Chris Sale pitch against them again, you know, it always, I think, rubs them the wrong way, especially because when you consider we're talking about bad deals, I think the further removed we are from it, it starts to look more and more like the White Sox didn't get enough in return because both Yohan Mankata and Michael Kopech haven't really lived up to what White Sox fans were envisioning they could become. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I have to imagine Red Sox fans haven't been perfectly in love with the way the Chris Sale uh, experience has played out for them as well. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, you know, Jeff, we, we often make references in sports to trades that help both teams. Yes. Uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say that this is a trade that didn't help both teams because Sale was a very valuable member here for the first few years he was here. And even though he didn't pitch well in the postseason that they won, uh, he was a contributor and a big factor in them winning overall in 2018. The problem came the next spring when they extended him uh, a year before they had to and with some questions about his durability and and uh, physical well-being with shoulder and elbow issues, which proved prophetic when he later had Tommy John surgery. And that's been the problem. Uh, you know, had... Sale pitched that final year in 2019 and walked, I think Red Sox fans would have been, yep, do that trade again in a heartbeat. Yeah. Moncada and Kopech have not really worked out for the White Sox. Sale helped win a World Series here. That's a win. Uh, the, the equation starts to change, though, when you evaluate what Sale has done or more to the point what he hasn't done since they extended, extended him in March of 2019. And that has been all about uh, you know, uh, unavailability and injuries and, frankly, um, at times, underperformance even when he's been healthy. So the, the, it, it wasn't the trade that was a disaster here. It was the contract extension. Certainly, and obviously in baseball, oftentimes that's where teams get into trouble is those big long-term deals that eventually bring a player into their 30s oftentimes problematic for the team long-term. Sean McAdam joining me for another minute here. He covers the Red Sox for Mass Live on White Sox Weekly. Sean, I'm curious now, if you, if you have uh, no knowledge of this, uh, feel free, obviously, because I'm kind of throwing this one at you, but Brian Bannister was just hired by Chris Getz mm-hmm. as a member to bring into their front office, and he did yep. spend some some time with Boston, the Red Sox, uh, getting his pitching and coaching career off the ground. I'm curious if you had any experience with Brian Bannister during your time covering the Red Sox. Yeah, I did. And um, I, I've always thought highly of Brian. Uh, you know, I, I think he was very well regarded here. Um, he was here at a time when it was believed that the Red Sox had sort of fallen behind in terms of analytics and applying that data to player evaluation. Um, he also uh you know, was kind of ahead of the curve when it came to, uh, you know, using technology to evaluate pitching and uh, some of the things that are now commonplace weren't so when he was brought on uh, to to serve in a number of capacities here, both in the minor leagues and then at the major league level as kind of almost the second pitching coach for a while. Um, I, I know he's bounced around with a couple of organizations, and I did say, did see that, um, that Chris Getz uh, brought him in uh, as part of uh, the, the one of the new hires to his front office. And uh, I would say he's a bright guy who um, is unafraid to try new things and uh, was 
very highly regarded when he was here, and I know the Red Sox were sorry to lose him. So having lost touch with him for a few years, I, I know that his reputation throughout the game, uh, at least then, was uh, was highly positive. Uh, that's uh, very encouraging for White Sox fans to hear from you, Sean. Uh, last thing as I let you go here, the AL East has just been, you know, an absolute minefield to try and get through, and the Baltimore Orioles and Tampa Bay Rays are atop the division, which maybe it's not all that unexpected for somebody who's really been following baseball closely, but your casual baseball fan is not used to seeing the Orioles and Rays atop the American League East in the fashion that they are. Um, What's it been like watching those two teams procure their young talent and watch it kind of flourish and, you know, become a nuisance to the Red Sox and Yankees and Blue Jays? Yeah, it's as if the division has been turned upside down from the AL East that we knew for such a long time, where the Yankees and Red Sox are usually jockeying for the top two instead of um, battling for fourth and fifth and trying to stay out of the basement. So uh, that's certainly a a new reality of the American League East, but you could kind of see it coming. Uh, Tampa Bay certainly has been um, kind of that overachieving team with a small payroll that some somehow uh, finds relievers on waivers and, and develops guys that have kicked around and turns them in, turned them into useful contributors in the bullpen. Uh, and this year and, and last really, their offense has uh, taken a step forward. So they'll be fun to watch in the postseason. And the Orioles, um, you know, they, they took the same route that the Cubs and Astros once did, which is, you know, you're going to take it on the chin for a number of years, but your reward is going to be a number of high draft picks. And from Rutschman to Henderson to so many of the young players they now have who are everyday staples in their lineup, they're now reaping those same rewards. We'll see if they can follow the Astros and Cubs and, and uh, you know, go all the way and win a title with with that strategy, but uh, it, it certainly is a very different look to the AL East than than we're accustomed to in in the Northeast. Sean, appreciate the information. Very insightful, my man. My pleasure. Thanks, Jeff. That is Sean McAdam again. He covers the Boston Red Sox for Mass Live. You can follow him on Twitter at Sean underscore McAdam. That's M-C-A-D-A-M. Again, very uh, insightful stuff there from him on the Red Sox and a little bit about Brian Bannister as well. Good to hear that for White Sox fans. You know, I think if we've been playing a couple of the sound bites from him and, you know, I think what we hear from Sean there is just a confirmation that what you hear from Brian Bannister in the clips we've been playing uh, just goes hand in hand with the experience that people around baseball have had. He's a very, you know, forward-thinking former pitcher who's now going to be involved in the White Sox front office when it comes to bringing analytics into the organization and helping not just give the information, but breaking it down into bite-sized uh, you know, bits that your players can actually take in and utilize to get the best out of them. So it's good to hear somebody who has had a little bit of experience with Brian Bannister talk so highly about him. I'm encouraged as a Sox fan that the, Chris Getz has brought him in along with Josh Barfield, who we talked with uh, Jesse Rogers about earlier in the show here on White Sox Weekly. Uh, good things about Josh Barfield in baseball, who was definitely helpful in helping 
the Arizona Diamondbacks kind of turned their thing around. And as now you see the Diamondbacks uh, in the midst of a wild card race as they sit in the second spot in the National League. So if things ended today, they would be in the playoffs. So uh, the White Sox bring in a couple of people from outside their organization, which hopefully will start to turn things around. Hey, get to the ballpark early for Hispanic Heritage Night presented by Modelo. Celebrate with friends and family as the White Sox take on the Padres at 6.10 p.m. The first 10,000 fans, 21 years old and older, will receive a La La Catrina bobblehead and be sure to stay after the game for a post-game fireworks show. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash promos. I mentioned the Diamondbacks there. Interesting thing happened at Yankee Stadium last night where the Diamondbacks were playing. It had never happened before in a Yankees uniform. I'll tell you what it was next, right here on the ESP 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Carmen and Yurko, noon to two weekdays, ESPN Chicago. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller, hanging out with you till pregame coverage, which will begin at 2.30 as the White Sox get set to take on the Red Sox at Fenway Park. First pitch scheduled for 3.10. We'll see if weather allows for that. Len Casper will be on the call of today's game. Hey, you can join us for the last $5 Tuesday on September 26th. All fans will enjoy a specially priced $5 concessions menu, including 16-ounce draft beers from Miller Lite or Modelo, Garrett Popcorn Stadium Buttery, Vienna Beef Hot Dogs or Polish Sausages, Beggar's Pizza Slices, Nachos, and select Coca-Cola products. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash Tuesdays, last one of the year against the Diamondbacks. And before I get to my Yankees nuggets that occurred in last night's game between the Yankees and Diamondbacks, the Diamondbacks game against the White Sox, which was originally scheduled on Monday at Guaranteed Rate Field, has been moved to Thursday because the Diamondbacks game against the Yankees today was postponed because of Tropical Storm Ophelia, and there is, in all likelihood, this gives the Diamondbacks the opportunity to play on Monday against the Yankees, possibly one or two games that day if they can't get their game in tomorrow as well. So to accommodate the Diamondbacks, the White Sox moved the Monday game to Thursday. So that game, again, if you were planning on going to that game on Monday, that game has been moved to Thursday afternoon, 110 first pitch, White Sox and Diamondbacks. All right, I mentioned something happened in a Yankees uniform that had never happened before last night, and here are the highlights. Judge hits one deep to right center field. There it goes. See ya. A low home run into the Yankee bullpen. A three-run shot. Three-nothing Yanks. Driven deep to right center field again. There it goes. See ya. A two-run shot the other way. Fly ball, deep right. He's done it again. A three-run home run night. Amazing performance by John. Six ribbies, three home runs, seven-nothing Yanks. So there you go. Aaron Judge hits three home runs for the second time this season. That's the first time in Yankees history the long, illustrious history of the New York Yankees that a player has hit three home runs twice in the same season. Interestingly enough, the Yankees are 23-4 and this season 
in games when Judge homers. So they're 78 and 76 overall, which means that when Aaron Judge does not hit a home run, the Yankees have been 55 and 72 this season. I mean, listen, I get it. When you hit home runs, generally your team's going to have a decent record, right? But that's that's kind of ridiculous. 23 and 4. Um, and remember, Aaron Judge, he missed some time this season due to injury. He currently has 35 home runs on the year after, remember, setting the American League record last year. Um, after having set the American League record for home runs, which I know is near and dear to everybody's heart with 62 because nobody apparently wants to acknowledge Barry Bonds anymore. Um, so Aaron Judge has 35 homers after his three home run, light, home run night last night. Again, the first time ever a New York Yankee has hit three home runs twice in the same season. Pretty crazy when you consider men like Maris and Mantle and old Babe Ruth having worn the Yankees pinstripes for Aaron Judge to be the first guy to do it twice in the same season and it being three home runs in the same game. Kind of interesting, at least to me. I thought I would share that with you. And uh, again, he will not have a chance to add to the total today because the Yankees-Diamondbacks game has been postponed, which means the White Sox-Diamondback games on Monday has been moved from Monday to Thursday. So Sox fans, again, if you were planning on going Monday, that game has been moved to Thursday afternoon. So just so that you're aware, no game for the White Sox on Monday. They will be playing on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday to conclude their home stand and the season. So the Diamondbacks and Padres coming to town for the final home stand of the year, the final six games of the season as the White Sox will wrap up their 2023 schedule. Hey, White Sox fans, guess what? Thank you for all of your support this season. Be here Sunday, the final game of the season, October 1st, for Fan Appreciation Day. And join us as we celebrate you and for your opportunity to receive a variety of great items throughout the game. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash promos. And I will mention that game, the Padres. The Padres right now, I I think everybody had left them for dead. They do have an outside shot to actually uh, get back into the National League wildcard, that third and final race, that final spot because they have been on a blistering pace down the stretch here. Blake Snell actually is slated to pitch in that final game on Sunday, Fan Appreciation Day, and there's a pretty good chance that he's going to win the National League Cy Young Award. So um, you can go out to the ballpark and not just be appreciated, but you can also see the possible National League Cy Young Award winner in his final start of the season. So another reason to come out to Guaranteed Rate Field to wrap up the season with us. Uh, Let's pause 10 seconds for a legal ID. Live from the old National Bank State Street studio, this is WMVP WSAG HD2, Chicago, a good karma brand's radio station. All right, Chris Getz, the White Sox brand new GM, is making moves. He made three new hires over the weekend. I'm not over the weekend, I'm sorry, over the past week. And if you missed it, I'll let you know who he's brought in, and we'll let you hear from one of them as well, right here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. White Sox Weekly Saturdays on ESPN Chicago. That would be today, folks. I'm Jeff Meller hanging out with you until pregame coverage begins at 2.30. I'll be on the pregame for you. Len Casper on the call of today's White Sox and Red Sox game at Fenway Park. First pitch scheduled for 3.10. 
We'll see if weather permits for that. But we'll be here for you right here on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. And I've been talking throughout the show about some of the new hirings that Chris Getz made over the past week in helping to fill out some of the front office roles. And again, very encouraging to see Chris Getz go outside of the organization. I think that is going to help White Sox fans give him more of the benefit of the doubt moving forward because I know there was a lot of concern about Chris Getz being here during the Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams era. And so to hear some of the names that he's brought in, and if you missed it, Gene Watson is going to be joining the White Sox front office in a scouting capacity. Josh Barfield, who was once a top 20 prospect in baseball, he did play in the majors for about four seasons, and certainly he knows what it's like to be a highly touted young player coming through the minor leagues and arriving at the major league level. Josh Barfield coming from the Arizona Diamondbacks front office where he was a pro personnel director and he will be joining Chris Getz and the White Sox staff. And if the name Barfield sounds familiar, you're probably, if you didn't follow Josh's career closely, you're probably remembering his father, if you're a longtime baseball fan, Jesse, who had a pretty good little career hitting 241 home runs in his career, including the 1986 season for the Toronto Blue Jays, where he finished fifth in MVP voting a 40-home run season for Jesse Barfield that year. He's the father of Josh. And then finally, Brian Bannister, who is the son of Floyd, who White Sox fans will remember. And Brian made it to the majors and pitched five seasons in the major leagues. And I think what you can take away from Brian when you hear him talk about it is the fact that he really did seem to get everything out of his talent. He didn't have the big arm that so many major league pitchers are blessed with. And he found a way to take every possible advantage he could get and maximize it. And that is why I think Chris Getz felt so comfortable bringing him into this organization. They overlapped in Kansas City where Brian Bannister pitched for four seasons as a starter in their rotation back, uh, I think, starting in 2007. And when you hear Brian Bannister talk and talk specifically about pitching, you can understand why Chris Getz wanted to make him a focal point inside the organization. And we'll hear from him here as he joined the Tread YouTube channel. And Tread Athletics is a pitching development company. So they spoke with Brian Bannister for well over 90 minutes. And we've been playing some of it throughout the show. Here's another soundbite from Brian Bannister talking specifically on helping pitchers utilize their strengths. Now that we have data, we, we have literally timestamps uh, of movement quality and pitch quality throughout a player's career. And it's, it's kind of like, you know, being a paleontologist, like you're going back in time, you're looking at what they did then, and then you're like, let's do that again. Uh, I've been able to do that successfully with a lot of players. And um, so many players are always chasing like the next big thing versus, hey, you were actually pretty good at this point in your career. If you just went back to that, you might make $20 million next year. And there's a lot to be said for making $20 million. <laughs> and uh, so I love one of my sweet spots is kind of that 29 to 35 demographic of big leaguers who at one point were really, really good and really, really locked in. And whether it's they thought there was a better version of themselves, a higher ceiling version, 
uh, a coach or org sold them on going a different way, uh, whatever the reason that they changed and they kind of got out of what they did well, and big league hitters were telling them that it was a productive way to pitch, that's all I need to see. Um, and getting really good at recreating what they did in the past is one of my favorite things, uh, and it's something I've been able to exploit for years. And it's fun because I don't have to teach them something new. Their body already knows those patterns, knows those motor preferences. I don't have to fight them or retrain them or build up that proprioception. It's already there. And once they actually start moving that way again, they actually start to love the game again uh, because they know, they remember they had success at some point in the past doing that. And if you just tell them, like, that's good enough. Like, being a three-war pitcher in the big leagues is good enough. Like, we're not all, you know, a seven to nine-war guy. And you're, right now, you're not making much money. The reason you're here is because, you know, you're looking for more upside, but you had the upside. Let's just get back to it. And that's one of my favorite ways just to talk to pitchers and go, that's good enough. And they find a, just a lot of peace in that concept. When you listen to Brian Bannister talk, you can understand why he's been successful in conveying these messages to pitchers. He saw, he followed up and talked more specifically on how he's been able to get buy-in from pitchers. I think the biggest curse for a pitcher is a guy who can light up the radar gun, but he has either low spin efficiency or you know no plane, no approach angle to his fastball. Uh, but he feels this burden that because I throw hard, like, I have to use that. And for those guys... Um, I frequently tell them, like, just replace the word fastball with your worst pitch. Right. And let's just throw your worst pitch less because that means your other pitches are better. And so um, you just, you know, you did a great job with, with Kyle and, you know, similar to like Logan Webb, that project. There's those guys that haven't ever experienced what their ceiling is because the pieces haven't be, been rearranged in the right pattern yet. Um, so they're still searching because they've never experienced it versus what we just talked about where they've experienced in the past and then they, they thought there was another higher ceiling and there wasn't, and they actually kind of torpedoed their production. Um, but when you, when you get the buy-in, when you get them moving the way they should, it feels right, the motor preferences are syncing up, you know, you're actually educating them on like, this is your bias, this is how your arm wants to work, uh, and they start seeing an action, and then ultimately when the hitters start telling them, hey, this is nasty, uh, and they start having fun. Uh, for some guys, they don't ever have fun until you know, several years into the big leagues because they've literally been pitching wrong the whole time. Uh, but the old way was, especially if you threw hard, you had to throw your fastball a ton. And so for somebody like Kyle, you, know, you guys talked about just throw your breaking ball harder. I mean, he has an elite ability to throw a curveball in the mid-'80s, and it's, it's gross, and he goes out there you know, and wins – uh, more games than anybody in baseball. Like it's it's so fun to see that, um, and that's just that's just a pitcher finally firing at all cylinders and figuring out who he truly is, and not just kind of following that archetype of like I got to be a power pitcher. Um, you know, I just make the ball curve and move better than anybody else, and let's just go with it. Awesome. One more here from Brian Bannister again on the Tread Athletics YouTube channel, talking about how much data is enough to give to players I, I tell them i want you to be a better coach of yourself than i am a coach of you and the only way i can get you there is by giving you the information you need to know in order to make pitch to pitch adjustments on the mound um, 
and for each guy, that's going to be a different amount of information. I'm, I'm always blown away when an organization shares nothing with a player. Um, you know, it's, it's just like, you know, complaining, you know, getting new shoes, complaining that they hurt your feet for a long time. And then somebody down the road tells you, well, like, you know, that's the wrong shoe for you. <laughs> like, right. like, how do we not at least, you know, I, I call TrackMan like a pitcher MRI. Like, how do we never tell a player, like, what's actually going on with them? Um, because that means they're always making subjective um, adjustments out there because they have no objective reference points. And so some pitchers are cerebral. And I'll actually simplify it for them. Some players, I'll challenge them to be a little more cerebral in order to just be a little more aware and not oblivious out there um, to things that impact their career and their production and their earnings potential. Um, so I think that's where we, we joke that as pitching coaches, we're more psychologists than anything. Uh, it's, it's a filtering process, but not in a deceptive way. It's to enhance how that player needs to absorb information and the amount they need to have and then work with them to better implement it because some some pitchers like the data but then they don't actually know how to make it actionable right and so you're, you're trying to walk them through each each step of the process um but once again it's always a customized process so i hate blanket philosophies it's right. just like why can we not customize it to the player if if we have that capability but if a player himself is actively seeking out and hungry for more information. Let me let's say you give him a very simplified version. He wants more. He wants to learn. Is there any is there ever a point where you're like, no, I refuse to let you go down this path? Or will you allow him to kind of guide that own discovery process? I, I think the hardest point for any player, and I and I've been there, is admitting that you're actually pitching at your ceiling. Um, you know, pitchers are tinkerers, pitchers are cerebral. I was a little of both. And it's hard to admit that like I might be actually pitching at the best version of me right now. And now it's just about going out and being as consistent at that as possible. Some pitchers hate hearing that. And sometimes it's the most important thing you can tell them is like, you're the best version of you. And it might disappoint them because they want to be, you know, a Cy Young winner or an all-star. And that's, that's a great goal, but they're going to get there by being more consistent with their preparation, routines, practice sessions, and execution out there versus chasing some other version of themselves. Uh, and we have to know as coaches when that is. But I think it starts with openly sharing information with them, but giving them, you know, it's, it's just like somebody who's trying to be on a, on a good diet. Like you're trying to serve them a plate full of food that's appropriate for their goals. You're not trying to give them too much food or too little food or starve them. You're just trying to give them the right amount. And so that's kind of how we approach it. So there you go, some really insightful stuff from Brian Bannister, one of the newest members of the White Sox front office as Chris Getz brings him in along with Josh Barfield and Gene Watson. And we thank Tread Athletics and their YouTube channel for that extensive conversation that they had with Brian Bannister. So uh, if you want the full thing, check it out. Again, Tread Athletics on their YouTube channel. It's uh, Tread, T-R-E-A-D. They're a... Uh, baseball development company specializing in remote first plans for pitchers. So, uh, and Brian Bannister also talks a lot about 
uh, working with young kids and younger children as well. So it was a really interesting and insightful piece. I recommend anybody, if you want to learn more about just pitching in general, if maybe you've got a young kid who wants to learn something to listen to some of this. And uh, again, really insightful stuff and uh, glad to have Brian Bannister, especially when you listen to him, glad to have him as a part of the White Sox front office who is going to helpfully help develop those pitchers and utilize some of the analytics that it seems like the White Sox organization has been lacking over the last few years. So can't wait to have him get started in working with some of the young arms that the White Sox brought in at the trade deadline. I'm Jeff Meller. This is White Sox Weekly, bringing you up to the pregame show, which will be at 2.30 today here in the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Hey, join us next Sunday. October 1st for the last family Sunday presented by Coca-Cola at Guaranteed Rate Field. Bring your family out to the ballpark for a day full of fun. Tickets start at just $10. Visit whitesox.com slash Sunday to purchase your tickets today. And again, uh, Blake Snell scheduled to start for the San Diego Padres. So if you do like pitching, you could be seeing the National League Cy Young Award winner wrap up his 2023 Cy Young season at Guaranteed Rate Field. So come on out and join us on Sunday. All right. Up next, there is a man who created a brand new club in baseball. I'll show you who it was and the highlight next, right here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Waddle and Sylvie, 2 to 6 weekdays, ESPN Chicago. season there was last night ronald acuna highlight courtesy of valley sports atlanta you heard it the fifth player ever to accomplish the feat 40 home runs along with 40 steals in a season and oh by the way he created his own club in the process because that was the home run that was the 40th home run that got him into the exclusive 40 40 club but he hit 40 stolen bases i think by the all-star break acuna currently has over 60 stolen bases. Ronald Acuna has created the 40-60 club, and I think he's going to make it a 40-70 club because he currently has 68 steals. And so you have to imagine that if he gets on base at all over the next week, I got I to gotta believe he's thinking, I got to steal two more bases to get to 70 and create the 40-70 club. So pretty insane to see Ronald Acuna did what he did last last night. And I know that Mookie Betts has become the betting favorite, a slight betting favorite to win the NL MVP. I don't know how you don't give it to Acuna. 40-70, I mean, I know Betts' war is a little bit higher, but Acuna's OPS is 10-13. Um, he's got a 337 batting average, a 415 on base, a slug of 597, 40 home runs, as you, as you heard, 68 steals. He's scored 143 runs. And, oh, by the way, he's driven in 101 for what I'm going to go out and say is the best team in baseball, the Atlanta Braves. We'll see if any other teams can get in their way in the playoffs, but thought that was interesting. A couple other uh, quick sound bites I want to play for you as we wrap up White Sox Weekly here before the pregame coverage gets going. Everybody's talking about Coach Prime. Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, has the Colorado Buffaloes back playing some good football. And 
It has captured the imagination on a college football Saturday of the entire college football landscape. But before Coach Prime was Coach Prime, he was prime time. That's right. Deion Sanders played baseball for all those out there who did not wear, did not know. And he played it professionally, by the way. He played so for the Atlanta Braves, for the New York Yankees, and the Cincinnati Reds. And Major League Baseball caught up with a couple of people who you may remember, who, you, who you'll know. Aaron Boone talks about his experience, his favorite story of Deion Sanders. My favorite baseball memory of Dion is in 2001, he was making his return to baseball. Coming back with the Reds, I was on the team in the lineup with him, and I believe it was first at bat, home runs, couple stolen bases, just a very Dion-like game in his return to baseball. Hadn't played baseball in a long time and absolutely delivered an all-star level performance. Took over a year off, and then he came back to baseball and played great for another year. Here's Sean Casey talking about his best memory of Deion Sanders. One of the greatest moments of my life, seriously. We're playing in Chicago, playing the White Sox. I had the wrong batting glove, so I was coming to my locker to get the batting glove. So I come into my locker. No one's in the clubhouse. The game was already started. I'm in third that day, so I'm about to be up. Get my batting gloves, and I'm walking back to the field. And I look to my right, and Prime's at his locker. He's talking to somebody. Then I look a little closer. It's Bo Jackson. And I'm like, oh, man, it's incredible. And Dion being Dion like he always is, bringing everybody. He's like, Case, Case, you ever met Bo before? And I'm like, this is incredible. I'm like, no, I haven't. So I went over and introduced my Bo. He's like, hey, nice to meet you. I'm like, oh, so nice to meet you, Bo. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm probably up. You know, I'm meeting third and the game's already started. But I was like, I don't care if I'm up or not. I'm talking to Dion Sanders and Bo Jackson at the same time. Two of the greatest athletes this human race has ever seen. It was incredible. The greatest moment of my life. Love it. Sean Casey there on uh, his moments of greatness with Deion Sanders and Bo Jackson. All right, folks, that is going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly today. But don't go anywhere because we have the White Sox and Red Sox game coming your way. Pre-game coverage starts in five minutes, 2.30. First pitch scheduled for 3.10. Len Casper will be on the call today. We'll find out if we get that going, weather permitting. Either way, we will be here for you right here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Thanks to executive producer Brendan Riley and Kevin Zipak. Talk to you in a few right here on ESPN 1000 and the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network.